Hello everyone, Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-yard NFL podcast. Yes, another week closer to the start of the NFL season and we have probably, I would say, got the best division, at least on paper, uh, to get our preview teeth into tonight. I'm back after a week off. Thanks ever so much, boys, for filling in for me last week when I had a little bit of a home emergency, but like I say, back in the chair tonight. Let's welcome the fellas in. Josh, evening, mate. How are you doing? I'm all good, mate. All good. Only a few weeks now until the start of the season, so it's all starting to feel just that little bit more real, isn't it? Starting to actually hear some proper stories and some injuries that actually mean something again. So, uh, yeah, feeling it, feeling it. Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Steve, how you doing, pal? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. We are getting ever closer, aren't we? We are going around the compass this week. It's the West, which means there's only two weeks left, which means after that, it's the season. and We are getting ever closer to that all-important first week game. So, yeah, getting excited. Looking forward to it. Indeed, indeed. We are hoping to be joined, well, we will be joined tonight at some point by uh, a, a familiar voice to the full 10 yards uh, network. Um, we'll be joined by Lee Wakefield to talk all things charges when we get there. He's currently beavering away, though, producing this week's college football podcast. So by the magic of editing, he'll be on both shows. But uh, Lee will hopefully join us. But we're going to start, as we always do, by looking at the team that finished first in the division last year. That, of course, was the Kansas City Chiefs, as has been the case for the last few seasons now. So, Josh, take it away, mate. Tell us about the Chiefs off-season. Yes, so the Chiefs were in a rather rather odd position this year, and one of which they're not exactly um, privy to, especially in uh, recent years, where the season which they'd had wasn't exactly their best by their standards. And I think the Chiefs fans would uh, would happily admit to that, especially their start. You know, if you, if you recall back to around November time, we were wondering as to whether or not the Chiefs were ever going to get out of their slump at the time. Um, they ended up pulling it right round and getting all the way to the conference championship game before fluffing their lines against Cincinnati. Uh, But then they were left with a number of questions. And what they've had to do is uh, retool somewhat. Some of their their big names have have now walked off. So um, Tyreek Hill was traded away to the Miami Dolphins in probably one of the biggest trades of the offseason. I think a lot has been said about Tyreek Hill um, in the last few months and Tyreek Hill has said a lot of things himself uh, in terms of his you know his new surroundings and you know Tua versus Patrick Mahomes and all the rest of it which uh, makes for interesting reading if nothing else Um, I think that he might end up having to eat some of his words come October time but uh, leave that as it may Tyron Matthew he's now gone after three seasons as well Um, 
and they uh, they they weren't able to actually get a contract negotiated for Orlando Brown either. They you know he ended up getting tagged. So there is a um, few niggles, shall we say, a bit an air of slight uncertainty. For me, the uncertainty sort of comes in their wide receiver set now. You know, you trade away, you, you, you trade. You trade away someone like Tyree Kill, and in return, you go for Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Van Valdez Scantling as your main guys replacing. You know, Sky Moore is the draft pick of which they got, of which I actually think ends up being um, probably the most exciting prospect out of the three. I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but I personally think that he's the uh, the most exciting of the three acquisitions there at wide receiver. But it's a bit of an overhaul at the position entirely they seem to have gone for overall production over over a uh, a legit star at the position and just hoping that you know Patrick Mahomes is able to is able to elevate them and keep the train moving uh, Justin Reed was brought in to replace Tyron Matthew which is just a case of getting younger at the position without losing too much uh, production there, maybe even an improvement. Actually, I, I quite like that signing, Justin Reed, uh, to come in. And uh, yeah, in terms of the uh, in terms of the draft, you also have uh, Trent McDuffie, who they brought in at cornerback, and George Kaflat. I can never get this name right. George Kalaftis uh, at uh, defensive end. So you know, they they've done a lot this offseason a lot more than what I think the Chiefs are used to and it just creates an air of uncertainty as to whether or not it maybe upsets the apple cart a bit too much especially when you consider what you've got in the division obviously the Broncos have gotten better the Raiders have gotten better the Chargers were probably you know we'll get onto them when Lee uh, pops on later on but I think that they've had probably the most explosive offseason uh, in terms of attracting stars to the uh, to the franchise, so I would say out the four, the Chiefs are, you know, the Chiefs were are the front runners, but they almost look like the ones that are falling into decline whilst the rest are getting getting on top. But it's not exactly by by the AFC and by the NFL standards. It's definitely not a decline. It's just because of the juggernauts that you've got in this division. I think that the Chiefs are still one of the best teams in football. They'll probably still get to the playoffs uh, without issue. They'll probably still win the division, really. Um, you know, they have their stars outside of those who are still all there. They're still fantastic. It's it's difficult to talk yourself out of a Chiefs win in most weeks, essentially. Um, just that I think that things will look a bit different and maybe not as polished to start off with as we have become accustomed. Yeah, I think that's fair. Steve, your assessment on it? I think um, the Chiefs uh, have, obviously with the, the Tyree kill trade, that was a bit of a crossroads and it was a case of do they sign him to a monster extension and play some cap gymnastics as they would have had to have done, like some teams have done where they've tried to fit in three or four superstars that are all earning sort of, you know, 16, 18 million plus each. 
not even including quarterbacks. So they've obviously made the decision to to shift him off the books, pick up a small king's ransom in the, in the meantime, and actually use that quite well. Um, and I think the Chiefs had to change something. Um, you know, in football, if you don't invest, you, you if you don't invest, that is moving backwards. There's not such thing as standing still. And I think that the last couple of seasons, the Chiefs have not quite gotten as better as I thought they would have. Um, and obviously, you know, the, if the old adage of if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And obviously, you know, um, Mahomes has got such good chemistry with the likes of Tyreek Hill, with the likes of Travis Kelsey, um, even with some of his his, his less um, sort of obvious receivers like Baron Pringle and Michael Hardman. But I think something was something I had to give this year. And obviously, the Tyreek Hill trade was a was a monster. Um, but I, I really do wonder how that's going to impact the passing game in Kansas City. You know, we've joked about it on the pod before how, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes was just like, oh, screw it, I'll throw it down the field and, and Tyreek will be down there somewhere. That's not there anymore because Juju and Valdez Scantling, as, as, as good as receivers they are in their own right, I don't think either of them's a number one receiver. I don't think either of them slots into that, that sort of top tier number it's one definitely role. definitely not like a replacement. No, exactly. Yeah. And neither of them are that type of player either. They're not speed guys. They're not the guy that's going to blow the top off a defense. So it's going to be interesting to see how they cope with that because they've already got arguably one of the best um, short field guys in Travis Kelsey anyway. So they're going to flood that part of the field. And, and you know, yeah, you said Sky Moore is, is, is potentially going to be that replacement, but who, know how, who knows how he's going to play in his, his opening season. I think what's interesting is, is around the trenches, um, and you mentioned Orlando Brown. At time of recording, I still don't think he signed his franchise tender. So there's a lot of questions oh, okay. up in the air. There's a lot of questions up in the air about whether or not he's actually going to play. That I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain he still hasn't signed it. So um, if if he still hasn't signed that, then that's a big problem on Patrick Mahomes' blind side. Um, so that's an issue. And the, the, the Chiefs' offensive line is usually pretty good. Like Creed Humphrey, they picked up in the draft a couple of years ago, and he's phenomenal. He'll be that centre for the next 15 years for that team. You know, he's excellent. Um, so they've got a good offensive line, but missing that piece at left tackle is, it would be a big loss. Um, and then flip it over to the other side of the ball, um, edge rush, again, is a, is a, is a sneaky need for Kansas City like yes they've had uh, they've added uh Carl Aftis in the first round he's a he's a good edge rusher coming out of college but sometimes dead rushers you never quite know how they're going to work in the NFL um Frank Clark has never reached double digit sacks in his three seasons in Kansas City just coming off 4.5 sacks last year and he's now 29 that's not enough for your premium edge rusher that's not enough so can he get better um I think the in the trenches is where they could have they they could um, maybe not lose games, but I think it certainly will affect them. And obviously, they've lost uh, Melvin Ingram as well. So I think I think they'll probably pick someone up in the in the later just um, uh, just before the season begins. I'll pick up a veteran pass rusher, but I think that could be uh, somewhere they they look to improve. Um, but yeah, they, I, I like the addition of Justin Reed. I think that's probably a slight improvement on Matthew, primarily because of the age of things. Um, but. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It all depends on how the wide receiver room pans out. Because if those guys hit the ground running and he manages to spread the ball around, then I think they, they are in for another really good season. But they have to start better than they did last year. Do you remember last year when they were like three and five and we were all like, oh my God, <laughs> the Chiefs the Chiefs are not making them play the playoffs. And then they won like 80 games in a row and proved us all wrong. So they have to start better than they did last year. But one thing I will just, just before I pass it over, have you seen their schedule this year? I know it's the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the league, but their schedule is insane. It really They're, is. 
you look down their schedule, and the only teams that I can pick out that I personally wouldn't predict a winning record for is Jacksonville, Houston, and Seattle. Everyone else that they're going to play, obviously they're already in the hard division, but everyone else they're going to play, likes of Tampa, Arizona, um, the Rams, Tennessee, San Francisco, they've got some really tough games this year, as well as their divisional games. So it's a tough schedule for Kansas City, it really is. Yeah, yeah and year. some good. of those are like six pointers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good good year for them to draw the NFC West, like you say, with, the, yeah. with how tough this AFC West is going to be. Um, yeah, I think look, I think you you both sort of summarised it there. It feels more like of a retooling as opposed to a complete rebuild. Um, like you say, there's a lot of emphasis on that wide receiver room. I've got to be honest, I had a heart attack when I looked at the depth chart and I saw not only the name of Josh Gordon, but I also saw the name Corey Coleman. I thought I'd gone back in time <laughs> to a, a very dark day. Um, God. But yeah, um, more of a retool. And with that being said, Josh, give us a, a player that um, needs to really put some uh, some good stuff on tape this year. Josh Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, the the, I I guess actually I could probably go with one of the uh, one of the newly brought in wide receivers, really. Um, just because, like like you said earlier, that there isn't really a, a clear first wide receiver, and it's probably the position room that might get looked at again very quickly next season if it's not. Uh, fully gelling. Um, I'd probably say out the two, Juju Smith-Schuster, just because I think that he's supposed to be seen more as the, you know, as WR1. I think that Valdez Scantling is very much seen as a two or a three um, in terms of how he's been brought in. Um, Smith-Schuster, I, I think that, you know, his brand was far bigger than his... Uh, production in Pittsburgh. Um, I always thought that he um, needed to go that extra step, really, to sort of solidify that position. And you know, when when you got Chase Claypool beating you out pretty much as soon as he comes into the side, and you're still doing the antics of which you are, that's a problem. And you know, last season where he when he was looking for when he was looking for more money and no one was really offering it him outside of, uh, I think the Chiefs were actually the only team that were looking to give him a bit more money at the time. And they, he turned it down to stay with Pittsburgh. That was mainly because he was continuing to to see if he could be the guy. I think that even he worries that he, he wouldn't be the guy at the Chiefs with Tyreek Hill there previously. Um, you know, now he he has to prove that he is the guy. Uh, otherwise, it could unravel very quickly for him, and he could find himself um, in a spot above her, really, because the touches ain't going to come if he ends up being um, a second or a third wide receiver, uh, and it will probably end up being three because I think that they have, they think really highly of Sky Moore. So yeah. you know in. This is this is a big defining year for the brand of Juju Smith-Schuster, I think. Yeah, just on Smith-Schuster, Steve. I mean, when he signed the contract, there was a lot of talk. You know, one-year deal, ten point seven five million was the headline number. You actually peel back the curtain; it's two and a half million guaranteed. Over seven million of this is in incentives, and part of that is the Chiefs getting back to the um, AFC Championship game. 
Now, I think Josh has just summed it up there in terms of, you know, for the brand of Juju Smith. How do you actually rate him? It's a difficult difficult one with two Browns fans on there, so I'll throw it to the, the, the less biased view. Um, how do you see him in the league? It's difficult, isn't it? Because he, I think he started his career really well. I think he came out of the blocks in Pittsburgh and was really good. And in his in his first two seasons, he managed to amass over 2,400 yards, um, seven touchdowns in each season, uh, and was was a pro bowler in 2018. You know, he's a, he's he's he he started really well, and then in 2019, something just fell off, um, and he just wasn't anywhere near as productive. And then obviously he he had that contract hauled out and then he turned he, he thought he was going to get a big money deal and he turned down a lot of different one-year deals and he ended up re-signing with Pittsburgh for, for a lot less than he could have got elsewhere and then he chose to hit the open market and he's and like you say he's picked up this this deal that's what seven million dollars that's a lot of it is incentivized that um he'll be frustrated with himself that he's he's not being paid what he thinks he's worth but the reality mm. of the matter is is that he missed a lot of games last season and um you know he's not been too injury prone through his through his career he's he's missed a couple here and there but not not mega apart from last year where he missed um 12 um so he's got to have a bit of a bounce back year he only he only got 129 receiving yards last year obviously missing a lot of games but um that's not the, that's not the type of production that, that Kansas City are looking for um and they've got a big old hole in their offense we've already covered it Tyreek Hill's gone and that's a big big shoes to fill um and I think they'll be looking for, but I think they're they're trying to spread the ball around rather than replace Tyreek Hill with one single receiver. They're trying to replace him with three and spread the ball around a bit more and try and have a bit more of a, a three dimensional offense. Not that the Chiefs' offense is by any means boring, um, but I think it's it's imperative for him to have a bit of a bounce back. Yeah, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? Because I don't really, it's not the type of player that I thought they needed. I thought he would have actually fit in quite well in in Green Bay. Given that they've lost a few receivers mm. this off season, and I think he probably could have suited Green Bay's offense and 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 Rogers, given what he's lost. I think him and Valdez Scantling are quite similar, really, aren't they? Like they 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 both strike me as that number two sort of contested catch kind of guy, um, and they, they, then they both come into Kansas City. So it's interesting that they've and like I said, they've already got Travis Kelsey. Um, so it, it's it's interesting that they've they've chosen to bring them both in. But yeah, I think like you say, Josh, it's I, I, it's difficult to disagree. I think obviously, yes, you are both Cleveland fans, but he started his career really well, and then since since twenty nineteen, he's on been a bit of downward trend. So he really has to have a bit of a bounce back here if he wants to get himself one more contract before he leaves the before he leaves the sport. Yeah, completely agree, Josh. You've kind of sort of already alluded to your prediction in terms of how the Chiefs end up. You said they're probably still the team to beat, probably still end up winning the division. Just to clear up for Murdy, I've done a bit of Googling while we've been going. I think Orlando Brown apparently has now ended his holdout and he's going to to be available for the start of the year, which is obviously good news for the Chiefs. Um, how do you see them ending up the season, mate? Uh, now you see. Now I go through the uh, through, through the list of games again, and it's it is a minefield. Um, Vegas has them at ten and a half wins. Ten and a half wins could probably still win you this division. Really, um, it's it's going to be one of those where it all comes down to the division games, and it's something which I'm going to say throughout this podcast. It's it's going to be so close, and that it's the six pointers that are going to mean the most. Um, pro- maybe probably eleven to twelve wins is kind of where I'd expect them to be just because the Chiefs have this culture of knowing how to win. The 
you know, apart from the wide receiver room, really, the there isn't too much other change. So, you know, I'd still expect them to go out and beat these beat these good teams. Uh, so, yeah, let's uh, let's say twelve, and probably a division win by a by a hair. Okay, if it's going to be by a hair, I think it's going to be a very competitive division, as we have alluded to. Seems as though every team in the division has restocked, retooled, and is really uh, going all guns blazing for it. Steve, I'm going to throw it over to you for one of those teams that has certainly spent some cash, and that is that the Las Vegas Raiders um, finished second in the division this time 12 months ago. Um, lots of change in terms of the players and also the coaching side of things in Vegas, mate. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I had to pinch myself when I re- when I realised that the Raiders finished second last season in the in the AFC West. You sort of, uh, you know, coming into this preview, I, I sort of thought, you know, there's there's an odd there's an odd team out in this division. There is undoubtedly the best division in football this year, and every single one of these games is going to be is going to be box office. But if you had to pick one of these teams, I think most people would probably point to the Raiders. And I think it's nothing to do with I think their roster. I think they've got a good roster. I think they've they, you know, they're sticking um, with their head coach. I think they've, they've got a good thing going there as well after the debacle that was John Gruden and him finally leaving in October last year. Um, so they've obviously um, sorted things out and and they seem to be moving forward. But the problem is, is that it's Derek Carr. And I, Derek Carr is one of these quarterbacks. I think he's in the sort of the Kirk Cousins mold and... Um, the, the Kirk Cousins mold is one of the best and worst things to have because that type of quarterback will get you to 500. They will easily get you to there, but they're never good enough to excel you beyond that point. And we, we've talked before about how how if, if he was going to get out of Las Vegas or previously Auckland, if he went somewhere else, could he, could he elevate his career and, and improve? But he's, he's stuck around. He's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. And they've rewarded him by giving him arguably the best receiver in the NFL, the blockbuster trade of the, of the vid of the Raiders. Cause I can't say of this division because there's been far too many of them in this division <laughs> was, uh, was at the start of the, uh, of the off season, really just after shortly after the, um, after the Super Bowl, when in the middle of March, when the Raiders picked up Devontae Adams, um, a lot of murmurings as whether or not the uh, Packers would resign him get him to that monster contract. Obviously, they've uh, they're played a bit of cap gymnastics themselves up in Green Bay, and it turned out that he wasn't willing to, similar to Tyreek Hill, wasn't willing to take the cut, wasn't willing to to not be the sort of the top paid receiver in the league, and he instead he got shipped off to Las Vegas to be reunited with his uh, with his old college buddy. Um, and I think they sent a first and second rounder in the uh, in the opposite direction. So, you know, you've got to ask yourself: Is Devontae Adams worth a first and second rounder? I'd say, yeah, probably. You know, when he's when he's healthy and when he's firing all cylinders, he's a hell of a player. He's a hell of a receiver, um, and that will be the one thing that propels this Raiders team up to to be competing with the likes of your Chiefs, your Chargers, your your uh, Broncos. Is the, the addition of of um, of Devontae Adams, because you could argue that their wide receiver room was a little bit lacking before he comes in. Um, and as soon as he does come in, this this offense looks a whole lot different. Um, you know, you add in the likes of Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, um, you know, that that Derek Carr, Devontae Adams relationship gets 
gets quite exciting when you when you look at the receiving weapons that Carr's got. The problem is in this division is that that's not that's not like a standout thing because every team's got these quarterback and three receiving weapons. So it's an interesting situation in Vegas. Um, I think the uh, an interesting thing to keep an eye on is their um, pass rush. Uh, Chandler Jones, interesting signing. Didn't see him going to the Raiders, but I think a really good pickup. Um, he had some excellent, uh, excellent season last couple of seasons. Pair up with Max Crosby. That's a hell of a pass rushing duo, um, and I think the Raiders will have some success um, uh, with the, with the pass rush. As we've said, I think that the Chiefs might struggle a little bit with the pass rush. I think the Raiders will, will really push forward with that. Um, and want some some breaking news, some breaking news, because we like to bring you breaking news here on Full Ten Yards. It sounds like the Raiders are going to let go um, running back Kenyon Drake. It sounds like they're going to let him go. They're not going to sign him on. Um, so Josh Jacobs will be the, uh, the the main back, the bell cow back, shall we say? Um, a lot of people questioning whether or not he's he's got it in him to be the number one guy. Um, I think he's uh, people probably be expecting a bit more of Jacobs. I think they probably wanted a bit more out of him. Um, and so if they can give it to him and make him the, the number one guy, and if he can put those numbers up, that run game in in in, uh, in Vegas will be will be crucial because I think we've just talked about it before. This this division is going to be such an, an air raid division. Everything's going to be going through the passing game. I think if you can get the run game going um, with any of these teams, I think that's going to be a really good way to win some of these divisional games. Um in terms of their draft, I think um, their the draft was obviously made up by the fact that they traded away their first and second round pick. So obviously, getting rid of their getting rid of their first pick uh, of first and second round means that they didn't get any of the sort of big names that people thought that the Raiders might pick up. Uh, picked up Parnham in the third round and an offensive lineman. Offensive line is another another area where you you've got to keep an eye on it. Um, with you know left tackle Colton Miller. Offensive guard Denzel Good coming off an ACL tear as well. They're the only sort of surefire um, starters. Um, there's a battle at the right tackle job. So can the third round pick can he um, get start get snaps at left guard or at centre? So I think um, that's going to be an interesting question. And as well, all of this is being done under a new head coach, Josh McDaniels. Um, McDaniels is an interesting choice. Um, I'm always a bit hesitant of people out of the Belichick coaching tree because. He has, in New England, he has his fingers in so many pies. And you look at someone like Matt Patricia, for example, recently, who went off to the Lions. And yes, granted, the Lions are were dreadful under Patricia because they just didn't really have the, the, the uh, roster. But he did not do a good job. And and he's gone back to New England and back under Belichick's tutelage. And Josh, Josh McDonald's has done that once before as well. So it's interesting that they're giving him another chance and another shot. Um, I'm not too convinced. Um It'd be interesting to see how it works out. There's a lot riding on it. So if, if it goes wrong, I can't see him being given too much leeway. Um, but, you know, this this division is going to be a hit or miss. You know, you, if you if this team finishes bottom, especially after finishing second in the division in uh, in 2021, if they finish bottom and miss out on the playoffs, you could you could see some heads rolling. Um, so, yeah, interesting times in Vegas. I think it's, it's impressive that they've managed to keep up with the pace of everyone else. I think the... The tone has been set, and the rest of the division sort of the, everyone keeps to trying to battle each other. Someone makes a trade, then someone else makes a trade, and then they're all constantly throwing money at it. So it's a really, really exciting division, and I'm really looking forward to some of these uh, some of these games for this season. 
Yeah, no, the division battles are certainly going to be interesting. Josh, your take on the on the Raiders? I think, like I say, Steve's give us a good overview there. Obviously highlighted, I guess, by those two um, key off-season moves. Firstly, the coach in terms of McDaniels. Secondly, obviously, the Devontae Adams one. Um, what's your view of them, mate? Roster-wise, they, they do seem now poised for, you know, going on to that next level. You know, it, it would not be surprising anymore i think to see them win a divisional round game going into a conference championship game you know if you told me that the raiders were participating in the afc championship game come january i'd probably go fair enough they're able to make it all work i think that the mcdaniels move is probably the riskier of any of which they've made at the moment whether or not he can you know actually take it forward we've seen you know, we've seen those from the uh, Bill Bell check-in school uh, not be able to make that move up all the time, or it take them a while to be able to get their own style. Um, you, you know, there's there is a lot to be said for maybe pumping the brakes on considering that that will be an instant success. But this roster is ready to go. There are very few holes. I think that um, the running game is probably where their hole is in terms of the offense. Um, if you can keep Josh Jacobs quiet, then they're just going to have to go through the air. But they've got fantastic wide receivers. They've got a fantastic tight end, obviously, in Darren Waller. Um, the defense is, you know, the, the, the players which they have on defense... Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, um, you know, uh, Denzel Perryman. There are, you know, there, there are legit guys on that defense as well. So, you know, the, the Raiders are ready to play. They, they can, you know, they, they can equally notch up a lot of wins this year. They've got a much better schedule than, um, they've got a much better schedule than the Chiefs do just by going from that one to two as well so it definitely makes life interesting in the division yeah most definitely steve give us your sort of view then in terms of the record that the you think that the raiders are going to end up with it's so difficult because of the division um i think in my head i picked them probably to finish bottom of the division division not because they're like the worst team but just because they're the if, if you had to rank all four of these teams this division, they'd probably come out fourth, but by a hair, I don't think there's much in it. And I think that it's going to be such a shootout in this division. I don't think there's any team that you would, you know, say they're definitely going to finish under 500. I think they're all capable of doing it. Um, it I, I think I can see them getting to 500. They got to 10 and 7 last year. Um, the problem is, is that Denver are going to be far, far better than they were last year. We're obviously going to come on to that in a second. So, you know, the gimme wins over Denver that the most most of the division probably thought they would have last year are not the same this year. They're not they're not there mm. anymore. So the divisional games are going to be so much more interesting. And again, the Chargers were sort of on the rise last year and will be even better this year. So it's again, it's going to be a case of how, how many divisional games can you win? And I think it's difficult because I. Th- I, I I would say that this this Raiders team is good, but are they better than the Chiefs, the Chargers? I, but then are we are we placing recency bias on this just because of how good the Chiefs have always been? I think the Chiefs have won this division. Is it six times in a row? 
So for someone to knock them off that perch, it's going to be a, a real big change. And and I, I, I'm always reluctant to bet against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes because they're such a good duo. Um, I think they get to 500, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's it. Um, I think just because I think this division is going to be so good. Um, I think I think probably nine, nine and eight. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? I mean, Josh said earlier, I think the Chiefs were at 10 and a half, according to Vegas, and you said 10 and a half might win you this division. It's one of those that it's that competitive, you know, nine and eight might be enough to actually get you in, in terms of, you know, they're all going to beat each other potentially, aren't they? It's got that feel that the NFC West had of it last year, um, you yeah, know, with the way that they, they've all gone about it so far during the course of the off-season. So, yeah, the, the Raiders, another team, that have certainly retooled, um, like you say, really interesting to see that um, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams um, connection. Getting the second go-around, of course, don't forget, they obviously were at uh, college together, weren't they, in Fresno State all those uh, right, years yeah. ago. So, yeah. very interesting indeed. We're going to skip the order around a little bit. We'd have usually gone to the Chargers at this point as finishing third in the division last year. But as I alluded to earlier, Lee, um, currently... Occupied, so we'll talk Denver Broncos for the next 15 minutes or so. Um, and this is a roster that I've got to say I am genuinely very, very excited about. I think the, the Broncos are a team that has got quality throughout, you know, in terms of every position on the field. Obviously highlighted again, another blockbuster trade in this division and this one for a quarterback, Russell Wilson coming across from Seattle, um, obviously a huge amount to give up. But with that being said, um, speaking from somebody with a team that gave up an awful lot for a quarterback, I'd much rather we gave it up for Russell Wilson than the one that we gave it up for. Um, you know, so, you know, Russell Wilson comes in, certainly a massive upgrade. They've been searching for Peyton Manning's replacement, haven't they, since Peyton Manning hung up the cleats. Um, it feels as though they've got that now. In Wilson, um, it's a star-studded cast of weapons in terms of, you know, I thought Javante Williams was really good as a rookie. I think he'll get more time this year. I think he'll probably get sort of 70% of the workload at running back. And Melvin Gordon, as he gets on in years, will, will sort of, you know, take on that secondary role, but two good running backs. Wide receivers are really interesting. Real shame that Tim Patrick went down with an injury. They paid him some decent money in the off-season. Um, but obviously, Cortland Sutton, He's back. KJ Hamler, he's back. Jerry Judy's back. I'm going to circle back to Jerry Judy in a bit. Um, tight end, Noah Fant was one of the things given up in the Wilson trade, but Albert O has proven to be um, reasonable whenever called upon. Um, but defensively, he's where, you know, I think they've, they've got an excellent roster. I think the trade for Randy Gregory is an excellent one. Another pass rusher to pair alongside Bradley Chubb. I think in terms of the cornerbacks, I thought Pat Sertain was was arguably one of the best rookies last year um, in terms of coming in at a key position and really hitting the ground running. Um, I thought he was excellent. And it was arguably a position that when they took it last year, a lot of people questioned in terms of whether it was a real need for them. But I certainly think that he, you know, you can never have enough good corners, can you? That's what they always say. You can never have enough good cornerbacks. And he's another one um, that's been excellent. And I think obviously Justin Simmons in the secondary as well. Is again another premier player at the position. You know, I look at them like I say up and down, and I think they've got a really strong roster. The schedule is the thing that really stands out. And like we've said along all these teams, take away all of the battles with the NFC West, take away all of the divisional battles, 
the other games could be really pivotal. And if you look, because of the Broncos finishing fourth last year, at the different games that they play in comparison to their rivals, they've got to play the New York Jets. They've got to play the Jacksonville Jaguars, which happens to be the game that's at Wembley. They've got to play the Carolina Panthers. They've got to play the Houston Texans. You know, it's a lot, lot easier on paper than the games that their opponents are going to be getting. So if you look at it just from a purely schedule perspective, they've certainly got the upper hand in terms of, you know, the, the easier looking schedule, at least in terms of obviously on paper. We obviously know it doesn't get played on paper. The real killer, I suppose, really, though, if you're the Broncos, is how the season ends. If you look at their last six games, they really need to get off to a red-hot start because the last six games are at Baltimore, at home to Kansas City, at home to Arizona, at Los Angeles, at Kansas City, and then they finish with the Chargers. I mean, that's a that's a rough six-game end to the season. So all of those slightly easier games in terms of at least on paper – um, come in the early part of the season. So if they can get off to a good start, then I think the Broncos are really going to be a team that are up there um, challenging. I think the other key thing, we haven't mentioned it yet, is the hiring of head coach Nathaniel Hackett. Obviously, a lot of people expecting big things after his stint as the offensive coordinator in Green Bay. Um, it's the first really offensive-minded coach that they've had probably going back again to the Peyton Manning days when, you know, Kubiak was there because obviously since then they've had Vance Joseph, they've had Vic Fangio. Um, so to actually bring in an, a, a defensive mind, so to speak, um, I think will be really interesting to see how that dynamic changes because I think the strength of the roster in terms of the depth is probably on the defence. Um, so you'd like to think that to some extent takes care of itself um, and Hackett can obviously, you know, pour all of his expertise into the offensive side of the ball um, I think it's a really, really good roster. I'd be really encouraged if I was a Broncos fan. Um, I think they suffered last year with injuries um, to key positions. I mean, I remember at one stage, you know, the, all the wide receivers seemingly were injured at the same time. Um, you know, they've obviously had uncertainty at the quarterback position for a number of years now, as we've alluded to. So things for me really do seem to be trending in the right direction. I said I'd circle back to him and I will come back to him and that is Jerry Judy. He's the player for me that really needs a put-up or shut-up type season when it comes to his production. There was an awful lot of talk when that draft came around, wasn't there? There was him, there was C.D. Lamb. Um, you know, was it, I think it was the draft that Henry Ruggs was in as well. We'll obviously skip yeah. past Henry Ruggs. But obviously at the time, those three, there was a lot of talk about which one should go first and who would be the best pro in all of those type of things. I think it's safe to say that Jerry Judy is really flattered to deceive in his first couple of years in the league. Um, he certainly hasn't had anywhere near the level of production that people were expecting him to have. Um, you know, if I just look back at his statistics in terms of last year, he appeared in only 10 games, 38 receptions, no touchdowns. He's actually only had 90 receptions in the two seasons combined over 26 games um, and only three touchdowns. So his production really hasn't matched anywhere near what his draft status would suggest it would. The Broncos have obviously invested a lot of money into Cortland Sutton and into Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick, like I say, won't play at all this year. He unfortunately did his ACL in training camp, but that obviously does open the door for Judy to see an extended period of work. 
But for me, Feathers, this is the year that he, he really does have to cash in because, like I said, there's already an awful lot of money at that wide receiver position. And even if it's not necessarily to get another contract from the Broncos, it potentially is playing for a contract elsewhere down the line. He's going into year three. You know, most players now certainly start talking extension at the end of year three, certainly, you know, into year four. Um, you know, so he really does need to to sort of put it uh, actually out on the field, I would say. I'm going to pass it to, to both of you, Steve. I'm going to kick it to yourself first, your view on the Broncos. I think you took the words out of my mouth. I thought it's, it's such a shame that Tim Patrick's torn his ACL because I thought he was going to have such a big year. Signed that contract, finally got a good uh, quarterback in the building and then he tears his ACL. It's such a shame. But you are absolutely right. Jerry Judy needs to be sure that he's now the guy. You know, Patrick's gone down. Rudy moves, uh, Judy, sorry, moves up one on the on the depth chart and now he needs to prove that he's the guy. He needs to go out there and be the Devontae Adams, be the Tyreek Hill, you know, be that guy in this offense that is, is reliable and is Russell Wilson's new DK Metcalf, shall we say, because um, he needs one. And I think it, Jerry Judy's got a perfect opportunity to be that guy. Um, the Broncos, I think, are very much in win-now mode. Um, I was surprised that that's where Russell Wilson ended up. I didn't see him going there. I thought if anyone was going to go Denver, it would be uh, Rodgers. Um, but Wilson is uh, arguably a top five quarterback in the NFL. I think he's he's up, 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 up until his thumb injury last season, he'd never missed a single game in the NFL. Um, so his longevity and his ability to stay healthy is excellent. Obviously, hopefully that thumb doesn't lead to more injuries now and, and sort of starting to topple his, his um, status. But hopefully he can stay upright. And if he does, this offense is, is like you say, it, it's... They're ready to win right now, and the defense speaks for itself. That back, that back seven on the defense, I think, is excellent. Uh, Pass the time, I've been so impressed with him. They've still got Bradley Chubb, Justin Simmons, and Kareem Jackson as their as their safety pairings is is one of the best in the league. Um, you know, this is a really good team. This is a really really good team. You know, a bit of a bit of a risk with Antonio Hackett. Um, obviously, learned a lot in. Green Bay and obviously it was Aaron Rodgers. I think that's probably why a lot of people thought Rodgers would come to Denver because it was his offensive coordinator. Um, so he's obviously learned a lot under Rodgers and um, be interested to see how that transpires in this Denver team. But when you look at there, I think with Denver, you can be guilty of thinking, oh, it's, you know, yes, they've got Russell Wilson, but they're just not going to compete with, with the Chargers and the Chiefs. But you look at their roster and yes, they will. That roster is good. It's really good. And I, and do you know what? I think I actually remember speak, speaking about the Broncos this time last year when we were talking about them and, and saying, like, they're a QB away from competing. They're literally one of these teams. There's very few of them in the NFL where they've got answers to almost every other question, but QB was just missing. And now here it is. Russell Wilson, you can't really ask for a better one. So it's now down to the players and can they can they do it on the on the field. Um, their roster schedule, like you said, is is kinder, much, much kinder. And I think they'll cause some upsets. I think Wilson's a good enough player that they will cause upsets and they will be able to beat some, some you know, the Chiefs, the Chargers, those types of teams. I think they will definitely cause upsets. Um, so, yeah, I think I'd, I'd have Denver definitely, definitely improving on where they finished last year. Josh, your view, buddy? Yeah, the, the Broncos are a weird one for me. I, I last year, as much as Drew Lock was definitely holding them back, I felt like there was more than just the QB that was the issue there, and I didn't. I, I, I was one of these that didn't buy into buy into what you just said there, Steve, which is that they were a QB away. You know, 
it, it, it was a massive factor, but I felt like it wasn't the only one. They have a fantastic roster. I just felt like there was a almost a culture of just a culture of just not taking the extra step. And I feel like what is going to make them competitive this year is the schedule. Um, you know, they've got they've got a good team. They've got a great you know they they do have a playoff team. Um, and I do think they will get around the ten to eleven win mark this year. But a ten to eleven win mark with Denver's schedule is not a ten to eleven win um win mark with the Chiefs, for example. I think that they'll end up taking games from each other and all the rest of it. I'm I'm just not yet convinced. And also, and this might sound incredibly controversial, but I'm unsure as to it's going to be a massive improvement. I felt like I need to say this before I actually say what I'm going to say. Russell Wilson's a massive improvement on Drew Luck in almost every single way possible, right? I am unsure as to, compared to the rest of the AFC West, how much Russell Wilson propels the Broncos up the AFC West table. I'm unsure as to whether or not it takes them over, you know, the, the, from what we've just said there, the Broncos basically should do what we ex- what I expect, for example, the Ravens to do to do in the AFC North, where they have a dirt easy schedule compared to the others. You're kind of battling out in the division, but you've got the you've got the QB, you've got the offensive weapons, you've got a fantastic defense. Realistically, you should be taking that and going above over the edge and absolutely storming it. The Broncos are remaining competitive within it. So whilst I do think that, you know, it's going to be a fantastic season for the Broncos, I just want to I just want to temper the, you know, almost perennial sort of roster designation that we're giving them here. I think I think in terms of Russell Wilson, I think if you look at the statistics, I think he's, you know, 292 touchdown passes in his first 10 seasons, second only to Peyton Manning in NFL history. Um, this is the kind of level and calibre of player that we're talking about. You know, this isn't a minor upgrade. This is a major, major, major upgrade. It took the farm to get him, you know, in terms of the trade. You know, you're talking two firsts, two seconds, a fifth and three players, two of which were significant players as well in terms of Noah Fant and in terms of Shelby Harris. Obviously, they were going to move on from Drew Locke. We're bringing Wilson in, so, you know, no surprise. But, I mean, whatever your view of him, Drew Locke was a first-round quarterback not so long ago. So, you know, it's Mm. not, um, you know, in terms of the size of the trade, it's huge. Um, oh, it's monumental. Yeah, 11 starting quarterbacks the Broncos have had since 2016, most in the league during that span, tied with Washington, um, which just shows the level of turnover at the position. And I just think, look, there's one one position on the field that if you can get it right, it can cover up a multitude of sins elsewhere. I think what we're all in agreement with here, or certainly me and Steve are very much in agreement here, is there aren't that many sins on this roster that need covering up. There is strength, there is depth. There isn't necessarily 
the star name that jumps off the page that the casual NFL fan will look at and say, oh, yeah, he's a guy that's rated in the 99 club in Madden, so he must be a really good player in the NFL. But what you have got is you've got consistently good players. And for me, Steve, you know, we're probably circling back to, to, to our positions that we were just on, but this is the kind of upgrade a quarterback that, like I say, this could take a team from six or seven wins, easily propel them up to 11, 12, 13 wins. He's, he's that much better than what was there last year, isn't he? I think what you have to remember with Russell Wilson is the Seahawks over the last couple of years were just were, were in a decline from where they were in the in the golden era when when they were great at the start of the of the 2010s, you know, when they when they won a Super Bowl and also lost one in the, in the final drive. Um Russell Wilson's been phenomenal for that franchise for a decade and I think last season's shortcomings and the fact that he got injured sort of masks the fact and the fact that the, the Seahawks have been in a bit of a decline in a very, very tough division for a while. Um, uh, masks of how good he is and just how explosive he can be. And I think I would, <laughs> before we move on from Russell Wilson, I'd love to to, uh, to end on this, which is from, I had to read it out, because it's from Kevin Patrick, who's an Around the NFL writer who said of Russell Wilson, um, all eyes will be on Russell Wilson as he enters training camp with a new team after a decade in Seattle. Wilson famously begged Pete Carroll to let him cook in the Seahawks offense to little avail. Now Russ joins Nathaniel Hackett, who has been helping fillet opponents with the NFL's top chef, Aaron Rodgers, for the past three seasons. So it's it, it does make you think like if, if they let Russ cook, as he always wanted to do in Seattle, if if the Broncos are willing to give him a bit more of a leash, because what you what you sort of forget with Russell Wilson, he's thirty three now, but what you forget with him is he's still really good with his legs. You sort of forget mm. that about Wilson, yeah. like he's really mobile and he's that dual threat, but he's also super accurate. It's why he's so good. And that that stat you read out there, Sean, like he, I would put him in in the, the conversation for one of the best in the league right now, um, and 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 certainly consistently over the last ten years because he's a very very good passer. Um, and yeah, I'm really intrigued to see how he fits in. New town, new scheme, new coach, new receivers, everything. Um, so after 10 years in Seattle, it's going to be interesting to see how he, how he fits in this Denver offense. Yeah, most definitely. I think they're a team to, to really watch out for that. You know, if you were telling me, you know, any of the teams that finish last, who's got the chance of finishing first in the division, I think, you know, probably have a similar conversation in the AFC North in terms of Baltimore. But I certainly think that Denver very much one of those teams that could well be that they go from bottom of the pile. I, I could see Denver winning this division. I think it's one of those divisions you could make a convincing argument for all of them, as we've said so far through this pod. I'm sure when Lee joins us shortly that he'll be having a similar conversation with regards to the Chargers. And I think you can make a convincing argument. But like I say, for me, it's such an upgrade at the position. You know, I'm just looking back at last year, the most yards that Teddy Bridgewater threw in any game was 334, and that was in a defeat. Um, you know, Wilson will throw consistently 300 yards plus game after game after game. Um, you know, so I, I think it's massive. And like I say, I would not be at all surprised if um, if Denver do progress. Right, we're going to move on to the Los Angeles Chargers. It's took me ages to get uh, used to the Los Angeles as opposed to San Diego. And for that, we'll bring in Lee from the college side of things. Um, when he's uh, when he's ready, so we'll pause it there, fellas. 
Okay, final team in the division, the team that finished third. But as we said, um, we had to skip the order slightly because Lee was busy recording this week's college football podcast. We're delighted to say he joins us now. First, let's welcome him in. Lee, how are you doing, pal? Hello, boys. Yeah, good, thanks. Very, very good. Um, doing doing a shift tonight, you know, two pods in a night. But I know that Josh has done the same. So, yeah, we're flying the flag out with full 10 yards today. Indeed, mate. Indeed. I'll just give Josh all the credit. This is my second stick to <laughs> as well. So, oh, of course yeah. it is. Yeah, of course. Sorry, mate. It's, it's all right, mate. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Been Short a, change a, you there a little bit. Been a long one. It's all, but, it's uh, all, sure it's that... all love here. It's all love. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure this will be worthwhile, mate. We've been saying throughout the course of this podcast, and I'm sure you'll agree, this is a really, really tight competitive division. I think probably the one that the neutrals really looking forward to. But let's talk all things of your charges. Obviously, like I say, I finished third in the division last year. Um, talk us through their off-season, mate. It's been a productive one. It's been a really, really productive one. It's been one way we've addressed all the needs that we needed to, really. And I think it's well documented that Chargers couldn't stop the run for Toffee last year. So they went out and spent some free agency dollars on the likes of Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day, to just really beef that up and, and just add a lot to that defensive line. And obviously... It all kicked off with with the big trade of Khalil Mack, you know, back in uh, March, wasn't it? Mid-March, I think it was. Um, just went out and got a player that's played in this scheme. And I think that's been one thing that the Chargers have really focused on this year is players who know Brandon Saley's system. Um, because last year, they tried to implement his new system, which was transferring from a Gus Bradley system defence to what Brandon Saley had done with the Rams. And they just didn't have the horses to do it. So they went out and got his favourite son, got Khalil Mack, someone who he was talking about in his introductory press conference with the Chargers a year before and kind of holding up as the standard. And obviously a year later, he's gone and got him from, from the Bears for not a great deal in return for the Bears, which is great for us. And again, just kind of beefs up the, the run defence because as much as Khalil Mack's known as a pass rusher, he's obviously a great run defender as well. And then flipping over to the back end, obviously getting JC Jackson, um, in, in you know that kind of period as well through free agency, just kind of really made the defence go from something that just looked a bit milky toast and a bit weak to something that actually you've got a couple of extra stars on there and help for the likes of doing James and Joey Bosa and players who have almost like carried and been the face of that defence. But now there's like a ton of talent on that defence and um, it's not you know it's not just the you know the, the free agents period. It's also the draft as well. Where we've supplemented it with the likes of JT Woods and Matisse Bonnier as well. Who've come in to to supplement both the back end and the front end again. So it's been the massive focus to have more players on the front end who can stop the run and cause more pass rush, but also players who are going to cause turnovers and, and be able to cover the back end and put a roof on the coverage of of some of these uh, quarterbacks that we've got to face. You know, it's not just Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert now. You know, we've got Russell Wilson and. I suppose Derek Carr counts in that. Now he's got Devontae Adams playing next to him as well. So it's going to be an exciting division, as you say. I don't know if it's going to be exciting for the fans of the teams who play it, because it's going to be an absolute bloodbath. But yeah, for you neutrals, it's going to be fantastic, I think. But yeah, no, off-season-wise, um, off Chargers have had an absolute fantastic off-season. Yeah, you mentioned Khalil Mack there, and Josh, I'll throw this one to you. I mean, it just goes to show what a crazy off-season we've had, that normally this is the kind of trade that would be the absolute blockbuster, and even in this division, it probably pales into, and I don't want to say insignificance, because that's really harsh on a player of the calibre of Khalil Mack, but obviously when you see some of the other things that have happened, this is what we've said throughout the course of this last hour, isn't it? This division is so exciting. It's it's almost gone under the radar, that Mack pickup, hasn't it? Well, I mean, don't even think about 
you know, what we've said before Lee came on board, think about what Lee's just said, you know, the off season that the Chargers have had itself has kind of put the Khalil Mack um, acquisition kind of just as, you know, one of many and kind of like a, you know, just a way in which they mean to go on. The Chargers have definitely meant business in terms of their off season business, you know, both in terms of shoring up their own house and indeed getting new players to add to the uh to add to the mould. So yeah, like you say, the AFC West has been tooling up in a way of which we've only really seen maybe in the NFC West. But, you know, the Chargers themselves have been the ones that have really led that charge, I think. Um, you know, not to uh, not to use a pun there, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, I, I think it definitely takes hold here. You know, they they've definitely been the front runners in terms of tooling up quick. Um, you, you know, most of their business was done very early. They were they were one of the darlings of the uh, free agency market. Um, pretty much as soon as it started. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can see Lee just brimming from ear to ear. With just the biggest grin, honestly. If we were doing this as a as a stream, <laughs> all you'd just see is this Cheshire cat grin on his face because you know it's a very exciting roster. You know it was last season, and you know with with these pieces, you know we talk, we've talked about rosters. This is possibly the most stacked of the lot. So you know, very exciting times to be a uh, an LA slash SD charger, depending on your affliction. <laughs> No, indeed. Steve, I'm going to kick it to you, mate, as well, just get your view on them. I think, you know, I always like it when a team is decisive in free agency, gets its business done early, makes you suggest there that they've obviously had a plan, they've stuck to it and they've executed it. Um, Again, you know, some of the names that Lee mentioned there, not necessarily those first-tier talents that the casual fan will know about, but the likes of Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day will be, you know, filling real needs on the roster. But like you say, they've also got those star names as well. I mean, like I said, JC Jackson was probably the premier corner that was on the market. Um, obviously, like we said, Khalil Mack, you know, absolute superstar in his own right. So what, what's your overall evaluation of the Chargers off-season? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, what I love about what the Chargers are doing is that they're taking advantage of Herbert's rookie deal that he's still on and packing the roster with enough talent that... That you know, the this this roster there's almost a lot of bit of pressure on it because there's like there's no excuse now with how stacked this roster is. Um, the Mac pickup is such a smart pickup. I think he was his days in Chicago were, were sort of dwindling out as he's, he's definitely more talented than that that team gives him credit for. Um, we talked earlier about the Raiders pairing of Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, and this Chargers team have got an equally as good one with Joey Bosa on one side and Khalil Mack on the other. You know, that's a nightmare for most offensive lines, but. Talking of offensive lines, something that I think, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know that I love the trenches. And one thing that the Chargers have definitely, definitely done is, is invest in the trenches. The Slater pickup last year in the draft wasn't a sexy pick, wasn't an exciting pick, but my God, it's paid some dividends. You know, that's the left tackle for the next 10 years. I love the Corey Lindsay pickup as well. He's, he's going to be that centre for the next few years as well. And again, first, guard, Zion, first round, Zion Johnson. Again, it's a right guard. It's not a sexy pick. But he, you know that that's gonna that's gonna keep Justin Herbert upright, and that's that's one of the best things that you can do with the, with a first round draft pick. I think is invest in the offensive line. So you know this this roster is there; it's ready. Um, I'd be interested to get your take, Leon. It, 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 for me, from the outside looking in, especially as an FC team fan, the the Chargers from afar, it seemed crazy that they didn't make the the, the playoffs. 
it seemed wild that they didn't get there. And obviously, it came down to a couple of games in the last week, in the last couple of weeks of the season, as to as to where they didn't. And you know, do you do you feel that you've done enough to to get there? Obviously, this this division is 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 so so competitive, and I think you almost picking out of the hat as to who's going to win it. We talked earlier about the fact that the Chiefs have somehow won this for the last six years running. So someone's got to topple them at some point. Do you think this could be the year? I do. It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, if it was just the Chargers making these moves and the rest of the, the division wasn't really doing a great deal, you'd think, oh my God, it's like absolutely nailed on almost. But I would say that the Raiders have got much better and the Broncos have got much better as well. The Chiefs, in my opinion, have probably taken a little bit of a step back but they were the kings of the hill anyway. So they're, I mean, they've got Patrick Mahomes, so he's, he's going to be he's going to be a good team anyway. And obviously they've got Andy Reid as well. I think it's, it goes to show that I spent the whole of the initial segment talking about the off-season, talking about just the defensive side of the ball, which was the reason why we didn't make the playoffs last year. You know, as you mentioned, there was the Raiders game in the final day of the season, final game of the season, regular season anyway where Justin Herbert's putting up an, a superhuman effort converting fourth down after fourth down, you know, that side of the ball isn't the problem. And as you've kind of rightly mentioned, Steve, the obviously pickups on the offensive line makes that a strength and we've just built on that strength again. And also we've picked up you know, players like Gerald Everett, we've drafted Isaiah Spiller, so the, the offence isn't going to be a problem. If this defence clicks, then there's no reason why we won't make the playoffs because, you know, we won nine games last year with a defence that couldn't, stopped the run and obviously that affected everything that the defence did. Obviously, special teams weren't great either. And we've got a new special teams coach. We've picked up a couple of players who can play a bit special teams a little bit better, you know, return player and things like that. So hopefully that'll see a little bit of a bump as well. So as much as all the other division mates almost have got um have got better as well, I do think that the Chargers have gone that little bit further. I feel like we've probably had the best off off season through the whole league. And therefore, I feel like we've had the best off-season in the division as well. So as much as everyone else has got better, I do think we've got more sort of better still. And for that reason, there's no reason why we can't make the playoffs. And I think we mentioned pressure. Someone mentioned pressure before. There is pressure on the Chargers. You know, one thing that I've been saying amongst our group chat and things like that is I don't want to talk about the Chargers too much in the off-season because we're sick of being off-season darlings. You know, everyone's kind of saying, oh, this is the Chargers year and things like that. And I'm sick to the back teeth of hearing it. I almost kind of want the first few weeks of the season to get out of the way and get a few wins under our belt. And then I can start maybe getting a little bit excited because at the moment, it's top cheap, right? You know, you need to put the Ws on the board. But yes, there is no reason why we can't make it. <laughs> the other thing I love about the Chargers as well is that with um, with Brandon Staley as the head coach, you're going to win and win or lose on Brandon Staley's terms. He's mm. not afraid to push on fourth down. He's not afraid to to do things in his own way. And I think that might set you apart. That might set the Chargers apart from the rest of the division. He's not afraid to do something a bit different, do something a bit creative, you know, get inventive on fourth downs and losing. If, if you're going to lose, lose on your own terms. And I love that about Staley. And I think that sort of type of, of head coach, the sort of Kyle Shanahan style, like offensive mastermind, I think is really going to, is going to pay dividends, I think. And that could, that could be the, the, the reason you win a couple of games that then tips tips the charges over into the off season because I think in the AFC this season it's just about making the off season. If you can just get to the playoffs and make yeah. the, the, the playoffs this year in the AFC, there's so many teams that are vying for it. If you can just get yourself in there, then anything can happen. Yeah, that's it. Like Brandon Staley says, you've just got to make it to the tournament, and then it's anyone's sort of game. And you know, Brandon Staley did come in for a lot of criticism in some quarters for his fourth down kind of policy, and. 
you know, we can live by the sword, we die by the sword. It definitely won us some games, but it could certainly be saying it's contributed towards some losses as well. I think that came from the fact that he didn't really trust the defence because he couldn't really scheme a little bit, and that's why he was so aggressive. So I'm not sure we'll see as an aggressive as policy on, on fourth down, but I still think he'll go for it quite a lot. You know, he was still sort of way out in front in that in that sense, but I don't know if we'll see it go as much because I think he'll trust the defence to kind of get the ball back or stop whoever we're playing. But he wants to put the ball in Justin Herbert's hands, and why wouldn't you? Do you know what I mean? He's one of the best quarterbacks yeah. in the NFL or the 40th best player in the NFL, whoever you... Who are kind of listening to, I guess, but um, less of that the better. Um, but yeah, I think I think like you say, Brandon Saley's definitely put his mark on this team now, and I think like you say, we'll, we'll kind of live and die on his terms, and I think that's the best way to be because he's looking like he he kind of knows his stuff after his first year, albeit we didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, we've talked throughout the year, haven't we, about how important the schedule is. And if you look at the charges in terms of their opening sort of schedule, you know, obviously the divisional games we've said all along are going to be competitive. They're going to be difficult. They'll probably be what makes or breaks who finishes where in this in this division. And that's an obvious thing to say, but in, in service, some divisions, it's more pivotal than others. So opening up against Vegas and then on the road on Thursday night football to the Chiefs, not ideal on a short week. Obviously, but then after that, you've got a lovely run of games, then haven't you? You've got a sort of six game span where you've got Jacksonville, Houston, Cleveland, Seattle, Atlanta. You know, you'd be looking at that and probably licking your lips and thinking, you know, we can really put some scoreboard pressure on here in terms of everybody else in this division. Let them battle each other, let them play the teams, you know, that finished one and two in their respective divisions last year. You'd be looking at that run of games thinking, we, we could be really sort of sitting at six and two by sort of week week nine here, you know, because you've got a, a boy in week eight. Mm. Surely that's got to be the way to go here, isn't it? Get those wins on the board early doors, mate. Yes, mate. It's exactly the way that, that we're looking at it. It's it's like, say, the schedule is a schedule of two halves almost before and after the bye. It definitely gets a bit tougher. There's, you know, as much as there's not that many teams that I would fear, it's definitely got a few teams that don't suit us as well. I would say, you know, the Titans, one that sticks out. And then we've got, obviously, a lot of division games, I think, in the second half of the schedule as well. But, yeah, if we can negotiate those two early division games, come out one-on-one -on -one at worst, and, you know, that might not be the way that people are kind of thinking it might do because we, we're not too bad against the Chiefs these days. Then that run, as you kind of mentioned, the one way, like scoreboard pressure, I, I really like the way you kind of explain that and kind of the phrase that you're using because that is kind of what we need to do. We need to kind of get on top of this division and, and kind of put the pressure on us to to kind of catch us and stick with us because that's almost what we kind of could have put on Kansas City in the game. I think it was Monday night football, if I'm not mistaken, last year, where the Chiefs came to so far and won. And if we'd won that game, then that would pretty much won us the division. You know, it would have really put pressure on Kansas City to win every game possible and the Chargers would have had to have the results that they did to kind of throw that away, which is always a possibility, as we know. But... Yeah, like you say, it's it's important to get ahead in this division and stay ahead as much as you can. Um, and we've got the runs games that can do it. So, yeah, absolutely. We need to win the games that we should win this year, which has not been the Chargers' way of late. Yeah, like you say, dropped a couple of clangers at the back end of last season that ultimately ended up being costly. But, um, yeah, like you say, plenty to be excited about on both sides of the ball. And now we haven't touched on the offence much. I know you kind of said it in jest there, Justin Herbert ranked 40th best in terms of the NFL's top 100 popularity contest. Um, <laughs> but in terms of what he brings to the film, mate, just what are you looking forward to in year three? Just more of the same. It's, it's, you know, he came into the league, you know, on five minutes notice. And as much as we kind of 
where we're like, okay, let's see how this goes because it's not what we're expecting. Obviously, the way that Anthony Lynn was talking about it at the time was, was not what the player that we saw since or that we have seen since. He's just not really had a hiccup, has he? You know, he, he's had not some great games, but, you know, he's always given us a chance, you know. And in going into year three, he's only going to get better because of his intelligence and the way that he's going to understand the game moving forward. And I think it's well documented. I think everyone's heard this now. I'm not going to be educating anyone by saying this, but this is the first time since you know his junior year, sophomores into junior year of um, his Oregon career, that he has had the same offensive coordinator and the same offense. So Joe Lombardi's talked about it as, you know, it's not football 101. We're not, re, you know, we're not relearning. We're not, no, sorry, we're not learning the offense for the first time. We're kind of just re-going over what we have done, and we're starting from football 202. So we can start to become a bit more nuanced in what we're running and what we're learning right from the beginning of the training camp. So it's only going to benefit Herbert and everyone around him because everyone kind of knows what they're doing, where they're supposed to be lined up, and we can now start to play around with things like cadences and putting in different plays and kind of going from there really. So kind of seeing that. Justin Herbert version of him, the version of Justin Herbert where it's not starting again every single year, seeing that where he can kind of build and build and build and build and become better within and more comfortable in the offense and kind of take control of it a little bit more. So I'm kind of looking to him to still put up the same numbers, you know, put up a bunch of touchdowns, but just look more in command and look more like a veteran of the the offense. So just that 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 progression is really what excites me because that's when we can take him from being talked about amongst the top 10 to really a top four or five quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, most definitely. Certainly got all the tools, hasn't he? And like you say, got a good cast of weapons around him. Pretty good rounded um, roster overall. I think, look, fellas, we've said it over the course of the hour, haven't we? I know Lee's joined us for the last 15 minutes or so. This is the tightest division, I think, to predict. I think we could probably make... A legitimate case for any of these teams to finish first and any of these teams to finish fourth. It's it's one of those divisions. There isn't a clear basement dweller and there isn't a clear runaway leader. But let's go around the horn. Let's put you all on the spot. Um, I'll start with... Who should I start with? Who looks the most prepared? I'm going to start with Steve, I think. Yeah, Josh, Josh has already given me the, uh, the signal to leave him alone. So we'll go with Steve. Steve, give us your order for the division then, mate. Not necessarily the, the, the actual records, but just in terms of you want to for which Which order are you going? We've just spent an hour and like 15 minutes talking about all four of these teams and I'm still no closer to the thing, to knowing who I think is going to win the division. Um, I, I I don't want to be boring and I think, I, I really do think this could be a year where the Chiefs are un- unseated as winners because they've won it the last six years, but I don't think they've had enough competition in the division like they will this year. I think this is going to be the biggest challenge they've faced in the AFC West for, for, for the last six years. Um, so I really do think this could be a year that one of the other three wins it. Whether or not that's the Chargers or the Broncos, I'm not sure. I think I'm highest on those two teams over Las Vegas, but I don't think this is going to be a case of someone having a 15 and 2 and someone else having a 3 and 14 season. I think this is going to be all around the same sort of. I'd, I think there'll be someone will finish on 9 and someone will finish on about 12, 13. It's going to be real tight, I think, the whole division. I think I'd be tempted to say the Chargers finishing at the top of the tree. It's going to be so tight, and I don't know if there's going to be much in it, but I think I'd say. I think Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos, Raiders. But it's going to be close. 
I thought you were going to perch yourself on the fence there, but you've come off it right at the end, mate. You've come off it right at the end. So, Lee, let's uh, kick it over to you, mate. We've already got one vote for your charges. Are you uh, are you going to back them all the way, or do you see it finishing differently? I'll paraphrase what Patrick Mahomes said when he was playing golf a couple of years ago. I'll, I need to believe it when I see it. I, I still think they're going to be the number one team. I still think as much as they've lost a couple of players and taken a step back in, in terms of their whole roster, like I say, they still got Andy Reid, they still got Patrick Mahomes, and they still got that winning mentality. So I'm going to stick with the Chiefs at number one, although I'll be happy to see that not really the case, of course. But uh, I do have the charges at two. I can't go any lower than that. I think Steve's bang on. I think it's going to be not that too much variance in terms of the win totals to come the end of the season. And I think nine and nine and twelve has been the high and the low for the division. It's, it's pretty spot on, to be honest. And it goes back to whoever said it earlier that the, the divisional games are going to come and be the be the big deciding factor. Um, so yeah, Chargers at two. Um, I would say maybe you know ten, eleven wins. Maybe the Chiefs being eleven or twelve wins above that. Broncos and Raiders then obviously for three and four. It's really difficult because they've both gone through a coaching change, which I always think means it's a pretty difficult run to get double digits when you've come through a coaching change. Not sure either of these guys will get it. Russell Wilson, I think, brings a lot to the Broncos, so I'm going to put them at three. And um, I, th- I believe quite a lot in, in Nathaniel Hackett as well. I think he's coming from Green Bay and he's had a lot of success there. Whereas on the flip side, I'm not too sure. Obviously, I'm Josh McDaniels and his kind of tenure at the Raiders. I also think the Raiders' offensive line is probably the weak, the biggest weak point in the division. And, and Steve mentioned it earlier about the ferocious pass rushers in the division. Obviously, the Raiders, are, I've got one of them, so they don't have to face those guys. But I do think that offensive line could let them down a little bit in these tight divisional games. So I do have the Raiders at fourth. But as Steve said, it's an eight, nine win team. So it's not, you know, it's not a bad team at all. And they will cause some problems. They'll probably be part of the cannibalization of this division and uh, probably take a win off. Um, the other three teams are too. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah that's my order. Josh, you going to change it up? So, I'm going to I'm going to first of all put an asterisk on this. So, I, I over the weekend whilst I was travelling up to Manchester, I did the um, you, you know when you sort of like put a prediction against every game to see as to what your win totals are. I did my first one of those for the preseason. I have. No less than eleven teams in the AFC winning ten games or more. Um, I have every single team in the AFC West winning at least ten games. <laughs> I have, and realistically, it's the divisional games that win it in terms of who goes where. The Chargers and the Chiefs finish twelve and five, with the Chargers beating out the Chiefs for what ends up being second place in the AFC based on just that additional win. So Chargers go four and two, Chiefs three and three um, in the division. The Raiders then sneak into a wildcard spot with 11 and six. 11 and six is as much as you can get for a wildcard spot in these uh, <laughs> in these predictions, by the way. In fact, I have a team not getting into the wildcard on 11 and six. Um, so you can tell that these predictions are insane um, <laughs> and should be changed immediately. I wonder how many beers I had at this point, actually. And the Broncos miss out, not ranked ninth on 10 and 7. 
time. I'll tell you what, you've put, you've put some effort into that, mate, and all I could see is Steve smiling as a fan of an NFC team thinking, yeah, I'm so have... glad that this is the conference that we're not playing in. You must have no NFC teams with a positive record during that moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, so the lowest, the lowest wildcard team in the NFC is 10-7. and 7. Um, Yeah, ranked 7 there, 10-7. and 7. So... Yeah, I, 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 I am. I have you ranked quite high this year, actually. I just think that there are. It's definitely a case of you've either got people who massively win in the NFC and those who massively lose. That's sort of where I've come to yeah. on that. Whereas the AFC kill each other. Yeah, I think they certainly do kill each other, and I think that's the thing with this division. I think Lee's hit the nail on the head in terms of you know this will be a bit of a bloodbath. They'll all take games off each other, and that's why for me, just in terms of my order. I'll be slightly different. I, I think it's I think it's between the Broncos and the Chargers in terms of who finishes first. I just think the Broncos schedule, as I said earlier, is really, really favourable. I really do think that is going to be a massive difference. And I do think Russell Wilson makes a huge difference. So I'll go with Denver one. I'll go with the Chargers two. I think the Chiefs drop down to three. Look at Josh, he's loving this. <laughs> and the Raiders and the Raiders dropping uh, down to four. But even at four, like you say, I still I still imagine them being, you know eight and nine at the absolute worst, if not with a positive record. So a really interesting division. Great one for the neutrals to watch. Really looking forward to seeing how the AFC West shapes up. We're going to see plenty of it on the TV, not just because of it being in the later window generally, but obviously because they will be very much the games that everybody wants to uh, get a look of um, as we get into the regular season. Um, Lee, thanks ever so much for joining us, mate. Obviously, people will be used to you in your capacity as part of the full 10 yards crew and obviously all the great work that you and the boys do over on the college side of things. But you're also here tonight in terms of your Chargers hat from the new Powder Blue report to tell people where they can uh, hear more things Chargers, mate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, obviously we have now set up the full 10 yards network um, of the, well, the Chargers arm of the full 10 yards network, sorry, which is the Powder Blue report, as you rightly say. Um, on Twitter, we are at Powder B Report. Um, we're going to put out a weekly podcast that will begin streaming on YouTube, not just on audio version, um, from next week, actually. So we're going to get a AFC West roundtable. It'll be pretty, pretty similar to what we've done tonight with you guys, I guess, but uh, in a much more intense fan-on-fan way. Um, so, yeah, that should be one to watch for sure. Um, no, it should be really good. And like I say, um, we're going to be streaming that live. That'll be our first one. Podcast will drop every Friday, um, and like I said, we're going to release our third episode this week, which is our 53-man roster prediction. So yeah, at Powder B Report, and that's myself and uh, my good buddy Ash, who has jumped on with me. And um, like I say, just having a real good fun, just chatting some Chargers on a Friday night. Oh, excellent, mate. Really, uh, really glad to have the Chargers as part of the network, network ever-growing um, still looking to get a few teams covered. So if anyone's listening to this thinking, oh, I don't see enough coverage of my NFL team and I'd like to get involved, hit us up at Full10Yards on Twitter. We will be more than happy to have a conversation. Whilst you're on Full10Yards, also make sure that you get your digital copy of our season guide. should be released in the coming days. Not going to put an exact date on it and put Josh under pressure, but we are beavering away to get it out ASAP. Uh, the digital guide will be available. Um, so check out full10yards.co.uk forward slash guides. Um, and yeah, you will have all the info that you need ahead of the new season kicking off. Uh, we've got a few divisions left to go. 
I've got some holiday coming up. The boys have got some uh, scheduling issues coming up. So we don't know exactly when we'll be back. And we don't know what combination of us it will be. But we will get round to all of the divisions before we get into previewing week one, which is now only three Sundays away. Thank God we have nearly made it all the way. Thanks ever so much for tuning in to the AFC West preview. This has been the Full 10 Yards podcast. We will see you soon.